Welcome to the Investing for Life podcast, where we apply proven investment principles to the lives of successful business people to help you enrich your own. With your host, Douglas Isles. Hello and welcome to the Investing for Life podcast. I'm Douglas Isles and my goal is to help you, the listener, by encouraging my guests to unpack their successes using a framework modeled on Platinum's time-tested investment principles. We will explore temporary setbacks that shaped our guests. We will learn about the long-term steps they have taken to ensure they're on the right path, and we will hear how they stand out from the crowd. Today, it's great to welcome Sterling Mortlock on the show. Sterling had an illustrious rugby career, winning 80 caps for the Wallabies and captaining the side from 2006 to 2010. A highlight was surely an intercept try and man-of-the-match performance in the 2003 Rugby World Cup semi-final against the All Blacks. Today, Sterling combines his love for sport and the corporate world as a founding partner of XV Capital Advisory. But I'd like to start back at the beginning. And, and Sterling, look, let's, let's go back to your childhood growing up in, uh, in the North Shore of Sydney. What, what stands out for you? What are your kind of memories of, of being a young boy growing up? Uh, non-stop perpetual motion, I guess. Um, I was one of five kids um, and four, four boys and and. Uh, my sister, who's the youngest out of all of us, um, and I'm the second oldest. And just growing up in a house where, you know, we were always at the front playing, you know, in the trees, kicking fo- footballs, much to my father's dismay when he'd come home and there's branches all over the all over the front lawn and whatnot, or we'd be out at the park consistently just, you know, playing with our mates. Um and for me, that's sort of what my childhood was like. I, I, I was into everything, um, always on the go, always busy, um, whether it was on BMXs or playing actual sport, um, playing rugby, uh, soccer, cross-country, athletics, you name it, I was into it. And um, it was a lot of fun. I had a, had a great childhood, and that's probably part of the reason why um, when I grew up and got married, you know, we, we settled down in the North Shore as well because I, I really enjoyed it so much there. Okay, and uh, with that, with that sort of four boys, was that was that really competitive? Were you trying to beat your older brother and fend off the younger ones? Yeah, I mean, it's funny how you how you go through through different stages um, of your, I guess, career. And I actually, uh, Scott Johnson, who's now the performance head of high performance for Rugby Australia, when he was a coach of the Wallabies, he actually said. Uh, you know, he asked me, where are you in the pecking order? And I said, oh, second, two IC, mate. And, and you know, he, he was like, fantastic. I love, well, love second born. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you know, often the, often the, the first born child is, they don't have that killer in them. But yet, and he started re- relaying some traits and whatnot. And I thought that was really, really bizarre. But, the, but I guess from my point of view, from my personal experience, it sort of made a bit of sense. Um, my older brother, Jeremy, was uh, three years older than me. So a, a fair bit older and, and he was always someone that I aspired to beat <laughs> um, in anything. And, you know, I really did, to be honest, when growing up because, you know, he, he was a bit of, he was a, a pretty good sportsman in his own right and he actually played over 100 first grade games for Gordon, our, our, our local club, um, you know. So, and uh, to this day, the first grade coach of that era still looks to me and says, isn't it great that you're the second best Mortlock rugby player in the family? <laughs> yeah. So, but but um, for me, growing up having Jezza there as as a uh, to measure yourself was was massive. I always always you know loved playing against him and all his friends and everything. And in hindsight, that was fantastic for for, for me as a 
as a young kid, being used to playing against people that are better than you and competing against people who, who are older and stronger and, and eventually when I got stronger, it was, it became a, a lot easier. Yeah. And do you think you then played that same role for, for number three and number four in the family? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I was probably a bit harder. Like, uh, I'm, I'm extremely competitive. So, uh, I don't recall them ever getting the better of me. Um, <laughs> and it, I, I even remember Lincoln, who's, you know, only, only 18 months younger than me. Uh, and then Stuart's probably only just a little bit less than two years younger than Lincoln. So we're all pretty, pretty close. Uh, I remember Lincoln talking about this a few years ago that, you know, he's been into running a lot and he, he, he was pretty fit and he, he said, um, I think mum or someone said, you know, Lincoln probably had a better beach in our still. And I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, 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 we never actually had the race, but, um, it's just sort of, I guess it's, it's, yeah, I've always been incredibly, incredibly competitive. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think probably my two younger brothers, Lincoln and Stu, um, probably didn't like that too much. I mean, we used to, it was funny. I mean, even have be competitive at eating dinner, right? Who could who could eat who could the most? Because sorry, who could who could eat quickest? Because then you got seconds, and because yeah, there was only so much. So uh, that's that's just it. I guess it's you know you are an extension of of your surroundings and what you what you've how you've been brought up, and certainly that only resonated with me the older I got, and the more you started to learn about yourself. Yeah, I feel sorry for your sister uh, trying to trying to <laughs> trying to get some food in, in the thing. Um, so, so sport was obviously very important to you growing up, and and, and where did rugby fit into that? You trying everything. Um, when did sort of rugby sort of stand out for you? Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, I guess rugby was just part of our family. My old man uh, played rugby, and I, I still remember going to watch my uncle play rugby for for colleagues um, when I was when I was still pretty young, but I still remember that. And then. Um, I remember dad taking me to test matches as well when I was really little. I still remember going to the 87 World Cup at Concord, um, Concord Oval. And I don't remember anything about it other than I was there. Um, and I actually started playing rugby when I was four years of age. And it was just by fluke. Um, as I said before, Jezza, my older brother, was three years older than me. And so when you were seven, that was when you first started playing rugby typically because it was the under sevens is where it started. And so I was just in the car with dad um, and, and the person at the registration desk said, oh, is he going to play? And then dad looked at me and said, do you want to play? And I said, oh, okay. And so that's sort of how it started. I played three years in the other sevens until I played against kids my own age. Um, so rugby was something that I always did and always, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the first few years, my parents used to joke that I didn't really even play rugby, just sat on the sideline and making mud pies. Um, but the last year in number sevens, um, playing against kids my own age, I actually got the most improved award. And then from then on, you know, I, I just love rugby. So rugby's always been part of my, my life. Um, but all sports I always enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed. And it didn't matter what it was. If, if it was available, I'd, I'd take it up. Um, so as I said before, um, cross country, little, little athletics, you know, I really enjoyed little athletics when I was sort of 10, 12, 12 years of age and made it to a dis, de- decent level. And then, it, then it went to Kings and, you know, participated in most sports. Um, basketball was a big one. I actually played, you know, two, two years in the first, first, first five at Kings. Um, and, and were so they your just, he, were your hero like your heroes rugby or was it like you're sort of idolizing all sports bag. people? Yeah, my my biggest hero hero categorically was Michael Jordan. Um, MJ was just amazing, and and at that era, 
Um, you know, had a lot of uh, a few a few of my mates who were in the basketball team that we 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 go. I go to one, his house just around the corner from the school, and we watch the um, NBA highlights. And Michael Jordan would be front and center. So, and just his his ability to transcend the sport and be the clutch. You know, he'd step up in every clutch moment, and he was so competitive and driven. I just everything about him was just uh, I was in awe of it. And I guess in rugby, you know, I always loved Campo. Um, David Campisi was, was a player who just seemed to be on a different level to everyone else and could just do amazing things. Granted though, I didn't like the fact that Campo didn't like tackling much, but, um, but, but yeah, that was the way he was. So, um, they were probably my two biggest sporting idols, uh, growing up. Excellent. And so one of the things I sort of want to explore in, in this series is, is the idea of setbacks. So, you know, it sounded like, you know, things going pretty well um, as a kid. Um, we think, you know, investing in companies or looking at companies, at least going through setbacks is, is a sort of important starting point. Could we look at some of the setbacks you might have faced at that sort of time going through school? Was there anything sort of that, that was difficult? Yeah, it's sort of, again, only when you sort of even retire, you start reflecting and thinking about the whole entire journey and, and how it was quite impactful. And more often than not, from my experience, any setback or, or injury or, 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 or things that suffered that, that, that really hurt you at the time, more often than not, are the biggest growth opportunities and you, and you learnt and dramatically grew from them if you came out the other side. And so for me, that was sort of a pretty consistent theme. So I, I guess um, maybe maybe a decent setback actually for me was, you know, in probably year 12 in basketball um, in the in the GPS trials, um, you know, I was there and basically just sort of trying to play my game. You know, I wasn't, I was a well better at basketball. I certainly was a team man. I was a point guard. I was the smallest, smallest in our basketball team. Would you believe? So I grew, I grew a lot after school. Um, certainly couldn't dunk when I was at school, but, but, uh, you know, after a year or so, um, I could do that quite easily. But, um, yeah, I, I felt like uh, all, all my mates are saying, you know, you you'll be in the team somewhere or whatever, and, and then eventually I didn't make the team, didn't make the first, didn't make the seconds in GPS, and to me I was pretty disappointed. I was like, man, how did that happen? And after that I just said, I'm never going to be in a situation where there's an opportunity to show your wares and, and, and go as hard as you can and let fear of of not being yourself or also just being in your shell a bit and just trying to play your natural game. You know, when you're in a, in a situation where you've, you, you've got to stand out to a certain degree, you've got to, you've got to give it all. And I probably didn't. And that was a big, fantastic learning experience for me at that point in time. And, you know, it was way before rugby or even any, any way close, any way, shape or form I was going to play professionally at any sport. But from then onwards, um, Whenever I was in, a, in an opportunity in a selection match, which happened actually only probably two to three years later, um, playing for New South Wales under-19s in a possible v, v probables match, uh, when I was on the bench of that, of that game, I just knew this is an opportunity. If I get a chance, I'm going to go out there and go hard. And and that was sort of a, a great learn for me from there onwards uh, because in sport and life, it's all about opportunity and you only get so many and it's the people who take them. That, that, that get the rewards and so you can't let you can't go into your shell or let fear of failure or or just just be conservative in those situations you've got to go out there with potentially that sort of all guns blazing mentality and give it your all and if you give it your all and you don't get picked you can look at yourself in the mirror and say 
so be it. You give it a shot. But typically, but typically that's not the case. You know, if you give it your all, people see that and normally you get what you deserve. So you made a very rapid ascent. Uh, you're a very young uh, internationalist. So you must have gone through a period where there was a, it was a very rapid prove yourself, move up, prove yourself, move up. Is that something you can sort of yeah, identify it, with? It, well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. So I guess when I was really young, you know, 10, 12, I was a pretty good athlete full stop. And then, and then, uh, probably going to Kings at a boarding school. And I, I lived it before I grew really late. I grew probably 10 to 15 centimeters after leaving school in height and grew put on probably at least 20 to 25 kilos in the first two years as well. Um, so it, when I was actually at, at school, I was still in the first for basketball, still in the first for rugby, but certainly wasn't a massive contributor. Um, and then I left school. I was still young. I, I didn't, I didn't turn 18 until halfway through my first year of uni. Um, so getting into pubs and whatnot was always fun for me. Um, but nonetheless, not, not as hard as probably what it is nowadays. <laughs> yeah. um, but but uh, but that that turned out to be actually a pretty big advantage to me. So I had a, a whole year in Colts, and then the following year, when I was still in Colts, I was still eligible to play Australian under nineteens. And so all the guys who were normally eligible for Australian under nineteens at that time were just coming out of school. I'd had I'd have a, had a year playing with guys up to 20, 20 years of age. And suddenly all these guys, you know, I was competing against them. I only got picked, as I said before, in the possibles, probables. And, and to me, that seemed like a massive advantage. And then when that happened, I went possibles, probables, picked for New South Wales, got picked on the bench of New South Wales under 19s, uh, ended up getting the starting team, then got in the shadow squad for Australian under 19s. A good mate of mine got injured on that tour. So then, Myself and one other, Chris Malone, we actually got flown over halfway through the New Zealand tour. And then I went on to the, to the midweek team. I think I may have scored four or five tries in that game, and then got elevated into the test team in the LZ 19s. And from then it went really quickly again. And, um, and, and that's back to the, uh, back to the lesson of three years in the under sevens. You were, you were playing against uh, <laughs> the guys older than you that uh, all came through. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially, but, but certainly. I guess that lesson around taking your opportunities, you know, I'd, I'd already learned that. And so the, the pressure of those situations, did, to me, there wasn't any pressure. It was all just about, you know, going out there and giving it your all. So when you give it your all in um, in sport at, at any level, in rugby particularly, uh, it's a very physical contest. And uh, obviously one of the one of the risks is, uh, is getting injured. And um, you certainly had your fair share of injuries over the years. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that as a setback and how you deal with the the pain, how you deal with the recovery um, mm. and just the sort of relentlessness of that. Yeah. So it, it was sort of um, something that I certainly had to face during my career because I ended up playing professionally for 15 years and average, average, you know, I had 50 operations throughout my career. So average one a year, uh, which is a pretty, pretty bad stroke. Right. But, um, but you do get, um, well-versed in facing setbacks and challenges and how to overcome them. And it's, and it's, and it's extension of as much physical and the team around you as it is mental as well. Um, so, so I guess my biggest one uh, to that stage of my career was probably in 2001. I, um, injured my shoulder in the semifinal against Queensland Reds, um, of the Super Rugby and, uh, we won that year. Um, but, uh, 
I injured at scoring a try when I probably should have passed the ball. So that's one lesson that you learn. You know, you shouldn't be a hog, but anyway. But um, so so I had a full shot of reconstruction, and I, I guess the first thing that dawns on you when you have a potential career-ending injury like that is, you know, I'm not I'm not bulletproof. I'm not invincible, and also categorically, this could all end. Um, so for me, in a way. The way I was mentally processing it is, is probably is going to the worst case scenario. What's the worst case scenario? Well, I'll never get back here. Um, well, have I accomplished everything I wanted to? Well, by that stage, I'd already played for Australia for one year um, and, and been really lucky to have already had that honour and everything else that, that went with a massive season. We were in Tri Nations and everything else. Um, and, and, and so I was like, okay, if that's the case, so be it. Um, okay, what do I really want from this? Um, so I've got six months forced layoff. What can I use in those six months to be better than what I was now? And how can this be, be better for me? And how can I start feeding the good wolf? So, so for me, it was more around, I'm going to, I'm going to be six months away from the team, away from rugby specifically. Um, that's going to be great for my family, spend time with, with my wife, kids and whatnot. And every time I, I did that, I made sure that I sort of went from the team environment, went back to the home environment and then put a whole team around me. So sit down with the, with a surgeon. I have a, a special, uh, not a special physio, but a physio that I would go to up in Sydney specifically that, that knew me really well and knew that I would give everything in my power to make sure that I returned bigger and better and stronger than them. Then the strength and conditioning coach, we, we map out a, a program so that hopefully I can be as strong, if not stronger. Uh, than when I was when I come back. And that, that's not very easy, right? Not very easy to make sure that your shoulder, which you can't use for three to four months, is actually going to be stronger. But certainly you can do the rest of your body and then your shoulder can catch up. And so that's sort of how I work my way through it. Now, the pain, the pain of injuries is an interesting one. Um, it is, there's a lot of pain, but you're full of adrenaline and you're in the heat of battle as well. And it's probably more the mental um, aspect that you're so disappointed that you know that this is going to be six months, you, you're done. And so for me, it was never really the pain of these injuries. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I had a back injury that was just horrific for a long period of time and whatnot, and it's not good. And uh, you never wish that upon anyone else, but it's actually more the mental anguish that that is the biggest issue. And so once you go down that path, and as I said, I, take, I go to the bottom and then build it back up. And then from then on, I try to map yourself a, a real plan so that I get back to wherever I wanted to go. And inevitably, it, well, categorically every single time, that that's what happened. So the, the plan that I mapped out with, uh, I guess, all the team, um, we walked a plan and and worked it and came back. So, so, so it's like a cycle. You, you, you hit the bottom and then you, you bounce back up. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. When it's the same with with success, you know, you've got to you've got to smell the roses when you're success, successful, and likewise when you aren't successful, when things happen, you got to process that. It, it's almost irrational to think someone that's had a busy, a massive setback or huge disappointment is not going to be pissed off or is not going to be upset. There's something wrong if that's not the case. Doesn't it mustn't mean anything to you? Um, so you've got to go through that process. But for me, I try to do that as quickly as possible. And as I said, I sort of go quite helicopter level and say, "Well, if that's it, then this is it. Um, how how do you how do you deal with that? Um, and then let's let's try to get 
the best possible outcome from where we are now and let's fight towards that. Well, you, you, you fight towards that. You get like, I guess the highs at the other end of things. And I mentioned at the beginning that, that try against the All Blacks and, and obviously scored a lot of, of other tries through your, your career. Um, I guess not many people get to experience that, that emotion of, um, such a pivotal moment in, in, in front of a big, big crowd. Um, do you, do you still sort of, can you still feel that today? Like 20 years on, does it still kind of give you goosebumps or? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. So basically today, um, so overnight, World, uh, World Rugby just announced that Rugby Australia uh, preferred candidature stage for the stage for the 27 World Cup and, and North America for the 31 World Cup. And so I had um, Jim Tucker asking me exactly that. Journalist rang me up and said, um, you know, how does it feel that 2003 World Cup, you know, everyone remembers that moment. And... Um, uh, it's something that I guess from, from my, for personally, it's nice to have that. And people do still remember that vividly and quite clearly. Um, I find it ironic that there's a few things about that. I was wearing gloves, which, which for my, for my career, I don't, I hardly ever wore them and all my mates rip it into me all the time. Actually, they, they ripped my touch footy last night. There's a bit of, there's a bit, a bit of, uh, rain up here. And they said, more like bring your gloves. So I still get ripped into it about, you know, a fair bit. But, um, so that, yeah, but it's, it's just nice that, you know, having hung up the boots almost 10 years ago and people still remember that moment. So that's, it's, it's a good thing. Um, and, and yeah, if I see the footage about it, you do get goosebumps because it, it, it's more than just that moment. Um, for me personally, I, I actually had a shoulder injury that year. So I had, I had to squeeze six months, uh, into four months for my rehabilitation to get back into the World Cup. And I had to play a game to prove that I was fit. And so that was mission critical. So that was my second shoulder reconstruction, different shoulder. Um, but again, you know, the amount of compression and pressure on the team and myself to get the body into a good nick. And I, and, and you know, that moment, my physio, uh, you know, I, I gave him a photo that, that of that moment and we both sort of smiled because, um, you know, two of the world's fastest wingers were, were trying to chase me down in Joe Rocafoco and Doug Howlett and uh, luckily they didn't catch me and that's because, you know, there was a lot of work that we put in to make sure I was better than what I was when I left. Um, and notwithstanding that, uh, that performance for a team point of view, there was probably, you know, three or four months thinking and planning on how we were going to disseminate the All Blacks that day. Um, because they, they beat Australia that, that year. They put 50 on us, the same venue. Uh, so a lot more comes into it when, when I see that than just the emotions of the moment. So it's, it's, it's nice. So there's a lot of moments and you, you were a kicker as well. So you had to deal with that sort of that, that pressure that, you know, the entire team's pressure comes down to one player, last minute kicks and so on. So how, how do you deal with the, I like the intense physical nature um, and then suddenly going into what is effectively like, like a golf shot or something. It's a very, very sort of calm moment. How, how did you learn to deal with that over the years? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, in open chain sports, you've got to go to a closed chain skill. Like, so line out throwers have it as well. Um, and, and, and goal kick is predominantly that's sort of, um, so yeah, you, you're in a state of flow and then you've got to take yourself, um, into a totally different mindset. So 
Uh, I guess the first thing is as a young kicker, uh, everyone goes through this and you, and you work out how you deal with stress and the pressures of, 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 of those situations. And for me, that was going through some heartaches. Yeah. Go through situations. My first, first season in 2000 when I was, uh, Wallaby, uh, kicker, uh, my first test cap, actually, I missed five in a row. Um, and eventually I hit the post twice, but I didn't get over. And eventually I, I just, I dragged myself and said to Joe Rolf, um, mate, you kick. And then of course that next kick, we, we scored out of the post. And I was going to say, no, no, I'll, I'll have that <laughs> yeah, now. Back. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, which culminated in me to the end of that season, actually kicking the match in the Tri Nations over in Durban to win from the sideline. So, uh, it, it, there's a, there's a lot about routine. There's a lot about learning what works for you. Uh, and, and I guess for, for, for me, actually chatting to John Eels, the captain, uh, two days, uh, sorry, a day before that, I actually asked him what went through your head when, when I was off injured, when he kicked the goal, um, over in Wellington, you know, only a week earlier. And all he said is, you know, you back your preparation, you back yourself. And all you can think about is that everyone in the team and everyone watching, supporting, just want you to give it your all, give it your best, which is sort of very similar to, you know, my mindset anyway. And, and that's sort of what it is. You want to clear, clear the mechanism, clear all the negative doubts and thoughts and back your systems, your processes and just give it everything you've got to executing that moment. You're never going to kick them all, but, but I guess I'll going through that process, um, and some of the setbacks, you know, you, I learned that. You, you do that, you do it well, more often than not, you're going to get those kicks. And that certainly was a case with me. I did miss a few in those scenarios, um, but I, I, I kick more than I miss, that's for sure. Excellent. All right. So I want to change direction a little bit and talk about talk about change, which is something you know we spend uh, a lot of time looking at companies and how they evolve and how they change. And you know, I'm speaking today, you're, you're down in the Southern Highlands. Um, that's a change. Um, maybe talk about the... Um, uh, the way sort of life after rugby uh, has evolved, maybe maybe start there, start uh, w- where you are now. Um, the lifestyle, you know, living in the country uh, compared with growing up in in Sydney. Yeah, it's, I mean it's it's an interesting journey, and I, and I guess um, where where our business is now, XB Capital Advisory, where. Uh, a sports advisory business, but you can easily describe it as a sports holding company where we, we've actually invested in some, some tech, tech based businesses that are all around data and that we believe, uh, we can help facilitate accelerating their businesses, um, in, and potentially into new regions, new sports and, and even new verticals. Um, and so that's what we're doing right now. Um, it's not too dissimilar to where I was previously for the last sort of four, four or so years. I've been um, in sort of the boutique alternative investment advisory business world. Um, and so all we're really doing now is, you know, looking at that, we're seeing a lot of interesting disruptors in sport and leveraging technology to enhance fan engagement and, and, and monetization and leveraging all those sort of things. Um, it's, it's, it's just fantastic to see what's happening in sport and, that's sort of combining what I was doing previously. Before that, uh, where, where we last caught up, you know, I, I was very lucky to when I, when I was close towards the back end of my career, sort of started doing a, a sort of grad style rotation through the NAB, NAB group. And I probably went through the wealth side of the NAB business. And that was fantastic, uh, grounding development and learning for me. So, um, and prior to that, you know, I was at the Rebels, had the opportunity to go into coaching straight away. The pathway was there. 
Um, but I wasn't really sure that that I'd had 15 years at the coalface, 24-7, 100% committed to, to rugby. And I knew that coaching is that and probably more so because it's more emotional and you actually have less physical or active involvement over the result, right? There, there is a – you've got to hand it back and let the players go and execute. Um, so there's a lot more stress to it. Um and, and I wasn't sure, but to me, what, what I was sure on, on is I wanted to really test myself and expose myself to growing and developing as much new skills as possible. And that's why I ended up going away from rugby. Um, so, so that sort of has led me to, to where I'm at now. And, you know, I guess the, the sports advisory thing from my point of view, um, you know, one of the business with, that we've partnered with is one that the Platinum knows well is Game Analytics. And it's fantastic to see what, what Deb, Ben Darwin and Simon Strawnan have done with their, their cohesion analytics and what they're modeling around that. And funnily enough, you know, we're really happy that we ended up launching a fund really, uh, recently based on, based on cohesion modeling. So it's something that I'm really proud of. And I know that Ben is happy and, and it connects me back to where I was previously anyway. So. So when you made that leap from from the sports field to the to the business world, it's almost again like to use the analogy again. It's like going back to being the young kid in the under sevens, the four year old in the under sevens. So the guys in the business world have had twenty years in business, and you've had fifteen or twenty years in rugby. So again, a very very fast learning curve. Um, what were the lessons that you kind of uh, were forced to uh, adapt to, or, or, or what were you forced to do quickly when you when you moved into the corporate world? Uh, I, I think, uh, and this probably happens to most athletes that transition uh, from professional athletes into into the corporate world. There, there's 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 a lot of uh, there's some similarities, and there's a lot of skills and attributes that you can transfer straight across. But there's always that knowledge and the data set, and, and that you've got to learn. There's there's certain aspects that you really need to learn, and time in the saddle is is challenging. So, uh, fast tracking that is critical. So. Um, uh, also a similarity in, in sport is that typically you've got coaches and or mentors, right? And, and so coaches basically their whole entire role is to make you better. And then you'll have some mentors that may be your old coach. I had sort of three mentors that, that weren't actively involved from day to day, but I would talk to them every now and then. So the power of, of, of that and people that are helping you to develop is something that Straight away when I went into the corporate world, I was like, okay, I need to really get people who can help me, help my growth, help my growth, help my development. And again, going back to NAB, that was where it was fantastic. I had a number of different, I guess, mentors that was sort of formal. And then another number who weren't formal, it was more, hey, can I catch up for coffee with you every sort of month and do a brain dump? I used to, that's, that's what I used to call it, right? Give me everything. Just hit me with everything. And, and probably that's one thing that, uh, after a while, I learned that, well, a, a few few mates said, mate, you, you can't just try to learn everything. Like, you haven't got enough time. But for me, I wanted to soak it up as much as possible and learn about as much as I could because it was all new. And so that was a challenge for me. How much do I want to learn to be efficient and effective and get things as opposed to going further down, wasting your time, point of diminishing returns, and you're not really ever going to be a subject matter expert ever anyway. Um, but that mentor one was a big one and that was critical to me and something that, that I still think um, is a big difference between the sporting world and corporate world. It's, it's not as easy to get people that 
uh, are there to help your development and your growth in, in corporate. Whereas in sport, there's people that that's, that's, that's their job. They get paid to do that. So, so did you do or do you have a, a formal mentor? And and how would listeners go about, I guess, selecting one or or approaching someone to do that? How how did you think about that? No, so right now I don't. I've got a number of people that I catch up with genuinely value their opinion and, and, and they, I would consider them sort of a mentor sort of role to me. But um, right now with XV, we're actually looking at a, at a business coach. Um, and, and so uh, I guess the great thing about our business is we've got, we've got a number of shareholders that are, that are, that are pretty sophisticated um, families and all about governance. So our governance and board, board papers and everything that we put out are, is very consistent. And the next iteration of that is going to be to have a business coach that helps model and, and just give us guidance because that structure, uh, again, probably back to sport, um, every week you have a performance that's measured. Then that guides what you do the next week. And you've also got cycling of the season and on all these things. But there is a, a lot of structure and ability to measure where you're at compared to your peers. Um, and you know whether you're performing well or not. Whereas in the corporate world, that's not the case. The cycles are very, a lot slower and the ability for you as, as, as a team member or as a leader of that team to know where you're at, where your team's at, to impart that on the team, it's really, it's, it's a lot more challenging. It's, 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 a, it's very difficult. And typically when you, in the corporate world and, and you go to a staff member, uh, let's go have a, have a review meeting, typically that means, well, what have I done? What have I done wrong? Uh, whereas, you know, from a sporting perspective, you crave feedback. You want to hear what you've done well. You want to hear what you haven't done well, categorically, because I want to get better. And so... Uh, that's another one that I found that was, was a real uh, point of differentiation in, in corporate world that it's not as easy to get feedback uh, and really consistent feedback as well. Yeah, I think it's probably it's probably less honest. People are kind of there's a lot of people talk about office politics, I guess, but at a broad level, um, there's a there's a concept known as the infinite game, which Simon Sinek talks about. It's very very different from from sport, which is which is very finite. Something you talk about at XV Capital is this idea of game changers and. We're talking about change. Um, what are you looking for as a as a game changer? Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I guess our our own view of what it, what what it is to be a game changer is firstly the business has to be scalable, and, and I guess already have a product or you know already be in in selling to to to, to have that, and probably more importantly, it needs to be transferable across sports regions and also um, verticals. Now, what we call verticals, um, typically a lot of sports technologies are born out of high performance, so helping helping the elite end of the game to, to, to transcend their game. Um, can it be can it be commercialized as well as in the community side of the game? Um, so I guess you know the, the, the simplest example of, of, of game analytics, is you know this is this is a company that's focusing on data and cohesion modeling at at sports and predominantly in rugby union and rugby league. Can it be transferred to other sports? Yes. Right now they're looking at NFL, EPL, and soccer around the world globally. Um, 
you know, AFL, they've already got the data as well. So tick that box. Can it, can it go to the community game? Well, maybe not so much, but certainly it can go to different areas such as, you know, the corporate world and their corporate offering is, is, is a massive opportunity for them because the cohesion modeling and doing that in a sporting team, it's categorically relates to long lasting successful performance. And if you have cohesion at company, company level, um, categorically it helps long-term performance as well. And, and I guess that's why we've launched the fund as well, because we, we believe in it. And long-term, we believe that highly cohesive companies will outperform poor cohesion companies. Um, so for that, that's that's why it was a game changer for us. Um, also, I guess from our point of view, personally, we, we want to be able to add value and accelerate the company as well. So if, if it fulfilled those, those, those criteria, yet there was an opportunity for XV Capital to add value and accelerate the growth of the company, then that wouldn't fulfill our criteria either. Cool. And setting, go- setting goals for the, for the long term for yourself, you know, as we look forward, what are you kind of, you know, what do you want to sort of achieve over the next, let's say, decade or so? <laughs> I haven't actually, you know, set that long term goals right now because, you know, the reality is XV has only been uh, around for a little bit over probably 18 months. Um, and, and the here and the now is critical to us. And so I've got probably, uh, I'm going to say the next three to five years set down, but in particular, uh, it's a moving feast. So, yeah, and, you know, COVID is an example of that. No, no one would have thought that, that, that COVID would have changed the whole world and how things and different sectors were affected and others weren't. Um, obviously sport was affected massively. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one right now. I, I'm not in a position to, to say where I'm going to be in 10 years from town, from, from now, other than, than I, ideally the perfect scenario is we, we've come from a, an amazing rugby world cup in, in Australia. And we're up at North America celebrating an amazing, unbelievable rugby world cup where the, it's always been referred to as the sleeping giant of world, world rugby has, has been well and truly awoken. Um, cause XV capital, we've got, uh, some of our shareholders are over in America. We've got direct connect, connectivity. What's happening, what's happening over in the pro league, the MLR comp up there as well. So we've got connections sort of, I guess, globally. And, and that's sort of, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we're trying to help, um, GLA expand. I think it'd be quite a fulfilling decade if you get uh, get both of these to uh, to enjoy. The, the final thing, you know, we we talk a lot about investing in companies that are, uh, sorry, when we're looking for investors, we want to go against the crowd. We don't really just want to follow everyone else. Um, we just want to int- explore, like, you know, what's what's sterlingness, if you like. What's your unique proposition that you think you offer? How how, how do you stand out from the crowd? Yes. It's interesting. I, I guess when push comes to shove, I'm, I'm incredibly loyal and incre- incredibly driven and competitive. Um, I want to work with great people doing great things um, and hopefully give back. So, uh, and certainly that's part of the XVs, our DNA as well as, you know, we, we've assembled um, some consultants all around the, around the globe and we're really happy with the consultants we've got for boots on the ground in North America, UK, New Zealand uh, and whatnot. So, and they're all fantastic people that we've known for, for, for some for a long period of time and some not too long, but, but all ones that, that are aligned with us on a values basis and we know they're good people. And so we want to work with great people, great teams, great Tech companies 
hopefully, hopefully do great things. That's sort of it. Um, and ideally in that scenario, it's a win, win, win. I don't, I don't want to be in a situation where we're doing deals or anything with, with organizations or partners where one feels like they've been screwed, which unfortunately that happens a hell of a lot of time in, in business that, that in order to get a deal done, you've got to be bent over backwards. Um, from my point of view, I'd much prefer to, be, tap, be really categorically aligned that everyone feels really comfortable. We've all done right by each other and we've got, got this and it's done fantastically well. That's the ideal scenario. And I guess that's the, the big difference between business and sport because in, in sport, there have to be winners and losers and you, you've had your fair share of winning. But I guess in the, in the business world, both teams can win. I guess that's a, a nice thing to, to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, um, Hopefully, hopefully the, the models and what you're doing, you're aligned so that you can all win at the same time. That's, that's for me, that's, that's the driver behind XP. And it is actually, I didn't even think about that. It's totally the inverse of what happens in sport. It's pretty categoric. You're either, you're either up there or you're not. Excellent. Well, that's a great place to finish. Look, Sterling, thanks so much for joining the, uh, joining the podcast. I think the listeners will all get a lot from this episode and, uh, yeah, really appreciate it and good luck for the future. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening to the Investing for Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. For show notes from today's conversation, head to platinum.com.au.